Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. If you had to guess, when do you think the first time the city of Jerusalem was mentioned in the Bible? Well, long before King David claimed Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, God was subtly hinting to the importance of this city. And that's why today we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 14, where we're going to see a mysterious biblical figure, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who is only mentioned a handful of times in the Bible, but his life influenced men like Abraham, David, and even Jesus. And I want you to think about this. Melchizedek's life even influences you. So you'll want to stick around to hear from Genesis chapter 14. But first, the news. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and wife Sarah Netanyahu are facing allegations of corruption in which the Netanyahu's influenced Israeli telecommunications CEO Shaul Elovich to provide only positive coverage of the Netanyahu's in exchange for the prime minister's advancing political benefits for the telecommunications giant. Prime Minister Netanyahu has denied all wrongdoing and considers these allegations fake news. Well, here's my take. Unlike most countries in the Middle East, Israel is a democracy that upholds the significance of law and due process, even against its own political leaders. This is a democratic value that sets Israel apart from the rest of its neighbors in the Middle East. The White House administration announced a few weeks back that it intends to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem on May 14th of this year. And this announcement and move of the embassy sends a huge statement to the world that the United States believes Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish state. Now, don't get me wrong. Moving the embassy is a fantastic gesture of support to Israel. But I believe most people already knew Jerusalem was, is, and will remain the capital of Israel because of the deep and abiding history the Jewish people have with the city of Jerusalem from the scriptures. And that's why today I want to take you back. I want to take you back, my friends, to to the first subtle mentions, one of the first touch points the Jewish people have with Jerusalem. And actually... It goes way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 14. When most people think of Abraham, I'm sure they don't think of him as a warrior. But in Genesis 14, that's exactly what he is. Abraham gets word in Genesis 14 that Sodom and Gomorrah, along with three other cities in the south, were sacked by the king of Elam. His name was Cater Laomer. And he had a band of kings, Canaanite kings, that supported him. Well, Cater Laomer captured Abraham's nephew, Lot, and took him northward toward Damascus. Word got back to Abraham from some refugees who had escaped the carnage in the south that Cater Laomer and his band of Canaanite kings had his nephew, Lot. And so in Genesis chapter 14, verses 13 through 16, it says this, that a fugitive came and told Abram, and I'm, I'm using Abraham's name in this message, his full name, uh, as I'm talking, but in the scriptures, he hasn't had his name changed just yet. It's Abram still. 
So it says this in Genesis 14, 13 through 16. A fugitive came and told Abram, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and Aner. All these were allied by treaty with Abraham. This is important. So Abraham is surrounded around these brothers, uh, and he has a peace treaty with them, essentially. They, they, they get along with one another. So in verse 14, it says this, When Abram heard that his nephew had been taken captive, he mobilized his 318 trained men who had been born in his household, and he pursued the invaders as far as Dan. Verse 15, then during the night, Abram divided his forces against them and defeated them. He chased them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. He retrieved all the stolen property. He also brought back his nephew Lot and his possessions, as well as the women and the rest of the people. Abraham attacks Cater Laomer and his troops in the night defeating them, retrieving his nephew Lot and providing the cities and the people who feared Cater Laomer relief from his torment. And I just want to stop for a moment and say this one section kind of highlights two episodes we've done in the past a few weeks ago. The first is this. If you remember, we talked about Ord Wingate and his lasting impression that he left on the Israeli Defense Forces in helping establish the state of Israel. And one of the tactics he used to help the modern Israelis was to train them in attacking at night. And and just like Abraham did here, when it says in verse 15 that he attacked during the night, he divided his forces, and during the night he took out Cater Laomer, uh, Abraham divided his forces against them and defeated them. And that's exactly what Wingate used. He used biblical tactics in training the Israeli forces. I just thought that was a great connection there. And then the other episode was only two weeks ago when we had executive director of the Friends of Israel, Dr. Jim Showers, in, and we were talking about Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Well, Genesis 14 is the actualization of that passage. Now, let me show you how Genesis 12 gets worked out in Genesis 14. After Abraham defeats his enemies in what seems like a pretty easy battle for Abraham and his men, especially since he was going up against a very successful army, Abraham retrieves some of the spoil stolen by Cater Laomer and returns to a place called the Valley of of Shaveh. Now, the Valley of Shaveh is actually a valley in Jerusalem. It's the place where the Kidron Valley and the Hinnom Valley meet one another. Now, l- let me try to explain it like this. Jerusalem sits on top of this mountain called Mount Moriah, and at the very top of Mount Moriah is where the temple once stood. And, and as you descend from the mountain, especially southward, there are two valleys on either side. The, uh, the Kidron Valley is on the east, and the Hinnom Valley is on the west. And these two valleys eventually wind into one another, meeting each other in the middle. This is called the Valley of Shaveh. Well, Abraham essentially goes to Jerusalem before it was called Jerusalem. And he goes there after this major battle, this, this successful battle that he has. And the two kings, two kings come out to meet Abraham to celebrate this victory over the Canaanite kings, the king of Sodom 
and the local king that ruled in the area of the Valley of Shaveh, Melchizedek, the king of Salem. You know, Melchizedek is such an interesting figure in the Bible. He's truly an enigma because he's not mentioned once in Genesis 14, and then out of nowhere, there is a laundry list of kings if you read through Genesis 14, then out of nowhere, Melchizedek appears, and now listen to what he says in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now, he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by the Most High God, creator of heaven and earth, worthy of praise is the Most High God, who delivered your enemies into your hand. When Melchizedek brings out that bread and wine for Abraham, he's actually blessing Abraham physically by providing him with something to eat and drink after a very long journey. It's a long journey from the northern part of Israel down to Jerusalem. Uh, This was a physical way for Melchizedek to bless Abraham. Okay, now listen, keep in the back of your mind, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Keep that there because Melchizedek is the king of Salem and priest of the Most High God, and he approaches Abraham with a sense of reverence because he knows the God who has called Abraham. Do you hear that? Melchizedek knows the God who has called Abraham. Uh, And theologian and scholar Victor Hamilton, who wrote that Melchizedek knew the real source of Abraham's victory against those Canaanite kings. He gave credit to the Most High God as Abraham's deliverer. Abraham's response to Melchizedek's physical blessing, the bread and the wine, and his spiritual blessing to Abraham, the prayer recognizing the Most High God as the source of Abraham's strength. And Abraham gives to Melchizedek a tenth of the spoil that he took from those Canaanite kings. But then the king of Sodom appears and speaks up and says to Abraham, give me the people and take the possessions for yourself. No blessing Abraham with food, no recognition of God's deliverance like Melchizedek, just, hey, you, give me the people and I'll let you keep the goods. Abraham turns to him and essentially says, nope, take everything that's due to you because I don't want to hear somewhere down the road that my success came from your generosity. Abraham gave up all the goods for a pure conscience to know that his well-being is not rooted in the king of Sodom, but that his well-being is rooted in the creator of heaven and earth, not the generosity of some rude king. Here's what's astonishing to me. The king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, recognizes that God has called Abraham to a divine task and that getting behind and supporting that task was essentially supporting God. And all of this took place. Think about this. All of this took place in what would become the city of Jerusalem. Now, when we get back, I want to show you something. Melchizedek, the king of Salem's blessing of Abraham, gets worked out over the centuries, over the millennia. His blessing of Abraham will become a blessing for everyone, even you. So stick around. 
to see how it all gets worked out. It's natural for us to see scripture from the context in which we live. But we need to remember the Bible is an ancient Jewish book. And that's why it's important to learn the correct historical context of the Bible. And that's why we want you to take a journey through the land of Israel in Dr. Randall Price's new book, The Zondervan Handbook of Biblical Archaeology. Listen, lay people, pastors, students, academics, and anyone looking for a current and comprehensive biblical archaeology resource would definitely benefit from this well-researched work. Illustrated with colorful photos, charts, and maps, this handbook provides a wealth of information that supplements the historical context of the Bible. Broken down into three sections, you'll learn archaeology of the Old Testament, intertestamental period, and the New Testament. Really, this work is amazing. It walks you right from Genesis to Revelation with archaeology. And the purpose of archaeology, my friends, is this. It's not to prove Scripture. That's God's job. But it's to shine a light on Scripture, and this work does just that. To order your copy of the Zondervan Handbook of Biblical Archaeology, visit foiradio.org or call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940 or foiradio.org. Welcome back, everyone. We've been studying Genesis 14, and in studying Genesis 14, we've been looking at the background to this man, this enigma in biblical history, Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And what we've seen so far is that Melchizedek is the king of what would eventually become Jerusalem. It's called Salem in the days of Abraham. And what pops out at us as we study through Genesis 14 is the subtle notion of God pointing to the city of Jerusalem and its significance almost a thousand years before King David declares it as the capital of Israel. And this recognition of Jerusalem comes by way of an ancient king and priest, Melchizedek, who chooses, he chooses to bless God's chosen servant. And in turn, God going to bless him, according to Genesis 12, 3. When God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And, and you saw how God cursed the enemies of Abraham earlier in Genesis 14. Now I want you to see how God blesses Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Now, now after Melchizedek blesses Abraham, he seems to disappear from biblical history. His name is not mentioned in the rest of the Torah, which is the first five books of Moses, which take us through all the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then on to the 12 sons of Israel, the 400 years or so that the sons of Israel are in Egypt, then the Exodus, the Sinai episode, the wilderness wanderings right into the conquest of Canaan. There is no mention of Melchizedek there. Then even after the conquest of Canaan, during the time of Joshua and Judges and Ruth, there's no mention of Melchizedek. Nearly a thousand years transpire from the brief, tiny moment when Melchizedek blesses Abraham, when King David, the the king who makes Jerusalem the capital of Israel, appears. 
And David pens a psalm, Psalm 110, which says this, Here is the Lord's proclamation to my Lord. Sit down at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord extends your dominion from Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people willingly follow you when you go into battle. On the holy hills at sunrise, the dew of your youth belongs to you. The Lord makes this promise on oath and will not revoke it. Here it is, everyone. Pay attention. You are an eternal priest after the pattern of Melchizedek. O sovereign Lord, at your right hand, he strikes down the kings in the day he unleashes his anger. He executes judgment against the nation. He fills the valleys with corpses. He shatters their heads over the vast battlefield. From the stream along the road he drinks, then he lifts up his head. This is a royal psalm, my friends, a Davidic psalm of messianic royalty. And David connects his position as king of Israel, ruling from Jerusalem, to that of Melchizedek, who once ruled from Jerusalem and was a priest as well. David is saying that he and his family who rule on the throne will carry the title king slash priest after the pattern, after the order of Melchizedek. But listen, it doesn't stop there with David. Melchizedek's name appears again, and this time in the New Testament. Are you seeing how Melchizedek's blessing of Abraham becomes a blessing transferred through time? And it's crazy to think that the few minutes Melchizedek had with Abraham are a few minutes that turns into an eternal legacy of how God's going to bless everybody. The writer of Hebrews piggybacks on David's royal psalm when he writes about Jesus. And he says this in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast, which reaches inside behind the curtain where Jesus, our forerunner, entered on our behalf. Listen, here it is since he became a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. As the son of David, Jesus continues the legacy of Melchizedek as both king and priest of Israel, who will one day rule where? That subtle notion that we hear about from Jerusalem, the city of peace. Folks, early on in the scriptures, God was sending subtle signals through a simple act of blessing to Abraham that one day the city Melchizedek ruled would become the city of the Most High God and the King of Kings, all from a simple act of blessing. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. Recently, I worked at Mount Scopus, where part of the University of Jerusalem is located. They're building new housing there for students. At about 11 o'clock in the morning, an Orthodox student with a considerable beard approached me. He looked around as if trying to find someone. I asked, can I help you? He looked up and said, praise the Lord. I have been looking for Jews, but all of the workers here seem to be Arabs. 
I am so glad to have found at least one Jew. I would like you to do me a favor and help me. What can I do for you? The Passover holidays are approaching, he explained, and the students do not even know what they are. Shabbat, Haggadah, the Sabbath before the Passover, is already upon us. I have with me a package of Haggadah to preach the Passover story. I would like you to distribute these booklets among the students. I replied, If you had Bibles for distribution, I would gladly hand them out for you. These booklets are a mixture of truth and legend. The Bible, however, is the Word of God, wisdom for everyone. He said, You may be right, but Bibles are very expensive and we cannot afford them. Then I made him an offer. If you will pay for five complete Bibles, I will pay for five complete Bibles, and we will give them to the students. What do you mean by a complete Bible, he asked. I told him, a complete Bible is the Old and New Testaments bound together. He grabbed his head and exclaimed, For more than an hour I have been looking for a Jew, and when I finally find one, he turns out to be a goy. I then showed him my order to report for military duty. When he read my full name, he said, Yes, this is a fine Jewish name. What do you have to do with the New Testament? I'm very curious. I told him, Years ago, I knew nothing about the New Testament or Jesus. Then God in his mercy sent a New Testament my way, and now I love Jesus and seek to serve him. Just because our forefathers went astray, that does not mean that I should follow in their footsteps and make the same mistakes they did. For the sake of my own soul, the souls of my children, and those of everyone else I meet, I must try to help people. Many may be looking for the truth without even knowing it, but they have no one to guide them. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The prophet spoke about our Messiah. You talk like a missionary, he said. Now I see why there are so many of you. No, I replied, it is not our doing, but the Lord himself who works in the minds and hearts of people his good seed generates the hearts of those who are sincere. All we have to do is to water the seed and keep the weeds from choking the wheat. You too may become a new person through Messiah, Jesus. I must confess, he said, that I cannot answer you now. What you say staggers me, but I am glad I met you. Do pray for that man. The impact of Zvi's life and ministry in Israel continues to inspire. Zvi's life in Israel lives on through his family today and has encouraged many of our Friends of Israel workers around the world to continue ministering to the Jewish community. When you give to the Friends of Israel, your donation allows us to advance the gospel of our Messiah Jesus. You can give online by visiting foiradio.org and clicking right on our donate link.
Earlier in the program, we talked about Melchizedek, and it's amazing to think of his whole life and what this one moment of blessing to Abraham meant. Steve, I was thinking the exact same thing. You know, how can one small act of blessing have such a tremendous effect on the people around you? And that's exactly what Melchizedek did. His one act of blessing was a ripple effect. And, and I think it's a really good reminder for us to always be ready to bless others and to give glory to God. Thank you, Chris. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg, Red Apples of Gold. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong, and I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. Friends of Israel Today remains on air thanks to the faithful giving of our listeners like you. If you would like to donate, visit foiradio.org.